Harry Potter didn't think he was anything special. He'd been told this so much by his aunt and his uncle. So imagine his surprise when a giant kicks in his door and tells him that not only is he a wizard, but he's also the mythical boy who lived. It's Harry Potter week and we're going back to number four Privet Drive with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. week here on fairentertainment.com this is going to be our overview of the entirety of the harry potter film series building up to the release of fantastic bees and where to find them at the end of this week my name is darren goodridge as always i'm joined by mr michael owen i am always michael owen he is indeed now you might be thinking darren you're usually the sizzle to this steak why are you talking more this is because ladies and gentlemen we find ourselves in something of a unique situation here uh, when it comes to our usual topics of conversation, Marvel, we're both on equal footing, yep. uh, DC, same thing. Um, basically, most movies we end up talking about, we know about the same amount of stuff. Anime is very much Michael's wheelhouse, I'm yep. not down with that business. Whereas Harry Potter is very much mine. That's true. In fact, to the point that up until the start of this week, Michael hadn't seen all the Harry Potter movies, despite growing up in the 90s. Yeah, can you imagine that? Yeah, it's so baffling. You'd seen uh, the first four? I'd seen up to uh, Order of the Phoenix. Or, or Not Order of the Phoenix. Um, Goblet of Fire. See, uh, this is what we did. This is today. how bad I am. Now, I have read all the books. I've watched all the movies. I've consumed all of J.K. Rowling's fan fiction over on um, Pottermore. Essentially what it is. <laughs> She's allowed to is. write it because, you know, she wrote it anyway. But it is essentially extended fan fiction. Um... I will I will reveal as we go through this week my feelings towards the movies, how they compare to the books, and so on and so forth. But I felt it was, uh, you know, this is a unique little thing, Michael. You're one of few people I know that hasn't seen every Harry Potter movie. I know, right? So what a journey we're going to go on. And of course, when going on a journey, you have to start from the start. Of course and you do. Today we're talking about the Philosopher's Stone. Now, for our people across the pond over in America, uh, you may know this as the Sorcerer's Stone. Because you know, you're stupid. <laughs> Essentially, yes. <laughs> well, I'm assuming it's because the Philosopher's Stone is actually some sort of alchemical real thing and the Americans are like, it's not Christian. I- I'm just guessing, though. So. I th- the reason I always believed was that they, they... It's not that they didn't know what a philosopher was, but it's more straightforward if it's a sorcerer's stone. True. And I actually think that's true. I wouldn't have lost any sleep if the English version was called Sorcerer's Stone as well. No. But there we go. But it's based on a real... Yes. Not a real. It's based on an actual myth. Of a Philosopher's Stone. Yes, which is um, the mythical stone that grants the elixir of life. That's the one. Um, see, you, you can't really... This is, thankfully, the first movie everyone knows the story of Harry Potter. Pretty much. Um, he's the young little orf- orphan boy. Well, I suppose he's an orphan. Um, In li- a sense, yeah. Living under the stairs with his terrible aunt and uncle, a number four private drive, um, before everything kicked off. Now, of course, this film series centres around um, three... Child actors. Yeah. Which was always going to be the big problem coming into these movies. That's true. The fact that, you know, they are essentially children's books. 
there's a tipping point, which we'll get to in later episodes, but for the most part, they are children's stories. Um, and that meant that three young actors got thrust into the spotlight probably a few years before they really needed to, in terms of where their acting abilities were. You think? Um, I'm kind of showing my hand there. Yeah, a little bit. But uh, well, we'll talk about the main man himself, uh, Daniel Radcliffe. I can't say this is. I have a very weird opinion of Daniel Radcliffe. Okay. Um, he does get marginally better as we go because he goes from an eleven-year-old to you know being a proper actor near the end of it. I don't like him as an actor, really. But as a human being, I think he's awesome. Okay, it's basically the opposite opinion I have of Johnny Depp. Right. Is do you share in my kind of? He's very wooden, especially in these early movies. It makes it very hard to watch for me. I think. Well, unfortunately. The the actors that appeared in these movies are forever going to be shackled to these characters. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you join a franchise. That's what's happened to the people who joined Star Wars, for example. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is going to forever follow them about, which is to be expected. However, I don't have that bad of opinion. Um, thinking back on you know this movie, I remember really enjoying it as a kid. Because you've got to remember, much like... And this is going to seem like a weird comparison... Much like Andy from the Toy Story movies, you were meant to grow up with these characters, mm-hmm. albeit more intimately. So I, looking back on it, yes, obviously, ch- child actors are never as good in- until they actually progress in the actual art that they're learning in. But I can't say anything bad about Harry himself. I can't find myself to say anything bad. There's a couple of duff lines, but you expect that with any child performance. It's never going to be 100% perfect. In fact... I've just started watching Stranger Things on Netflix. Literally just. I know I'm so behind the times. And everyone's going mad. But like, those actors in that, yeah, they're pretty good. But they're going to get better at the minute they are still children. And they are playing children's games. You know what I mean? I'm glad you brought up Stranger Things. Because I think that shows the kind of level of acting that kids are capable of doing. Certainly, like, not to give any spoilers for that, but certainly like um, when, when actors are given so little to work with, like Eleven in that series... Holy damn. Yeah. Like, some of them are great. Harry Potter, unfortunately, puts, you know, Harry, Ron and Hermione at the forefront of pretty much every single scene. Harry's pretty much at the forefront of every single scene in this movie. And he's kind of going for the Keanu Reeves style of, of being the main character. He's very much the special. But that's, but, that's exactly but the, the, the plot. See, I think my problems with Daniel Radcliffe, I'll have to discuss in later movies, where I feel like he should have done better. Um, but I, I just, I can never escape the fact that he's an actor okay, doing lines. He never feels like a real character. He, he is what I picture now when I read Harry Potter books. And I don't think he was miles off with the character. Because again, Harry is the protagonist. He's meant to be a bit bland. Yeah. But um, speaking of intimately growing with people, right. Hermione. Oh, God. <laughs> really? you making that joke in the first day? Yep. Well, okay then. The one that seems to, of the three main ones perhaps gone on to have the better career. And All three of them are kind of flying under I, the radar. I, I would say the one that's improved the most as well, because she yes. was ear-gratingly terrible in the first movie, and yes. I think we're all glossing over that. Oh, I don't gloss over it. Okay. This is the thing. I, I, I will throw Ron in here as well at this point. Rupert Green. Oh, no, I really liked Ron. Well, okay, Hermione first. I, I really didn't like her at any point. No. In that I... Again, I feel like she did capture Hermione quite well... But she's never likeable, is Hermione, in these no. movies. You're never really on board with Hermione. 
You always, she's always the annoying. She's always the Lisa Simpson of the equation. Yeah, I and that's you. not me throwing. And you don't win friends with salad. You don't win friends with salad. You don't win friends with salad. There is a Simpsons quote for everything. There is. I don't mean to throw Lisa under the bus because I've thought we all like Lisa as a character, but you know she's capable of being funny and endearing. I think Emma Watson's acting style doesn't allow in for big that. quotations acting style which I is know. basically just you're going to have someone's over enunciate everything because i am book smart like, yes that's her only character trait in this movie now as somebody who did read the first book albeit hey! years ago so i hey! can't remember a goddamn word of it um did that come across well in the books darren she yes listen i i do think there's not a gulf between Harry, Hermione in the books and Hermione in the films. But you're happy for Hermione near the end when the stuff that happens to her happens to her. I get you. You're happy that she gets a, a happy ending. It, 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 I think it's just... The problem started early on with Emma Watson and they never really went away or got changed where you really, you know... Especially in this first movie, I don't think you're meant to like her necessarily no. because they're, they're finding their chemistry together. But I don't think that ever changed and never really addressed that. Um, now, Rupert Grint, I'd probably say of the three, is my favourite. But even he, I don't think, has a really great acting turn in any of these movies. Specifically here. Again, they're 11-year-olds. We need to cut them a little bit yeah. of slack. But, um, now, he does capture Ron perfectly. Yes, I agree. Hands down, got it absolutely nailed. Um, because I think that the, because Harry is the special and because he's the protagonist, he's the one that you're supposed to like the most... Uh, Rupert Grint as Ron is the one that you sort of relate with the most. He's he's not that great a wizard, and but he's a good friend, which is a, which is a, like kind of like being given the power of heart from Captain Planet. Yeah, but that's essentially what Ron is. He is Joey Wheeler. Emo- yeah, he's, he's emotion. I yeah. find he's the emotional core of that yep. trilogy. You have the bravery, the smarts, and the emotion. Think of it like a Triforce. He's wearing a Zelda shirt, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, well done, Michael. I would make an Ant-Man reference, but that might be a bit hard. Um, we will come back to the main three as we progress through these um, through these movies, because we need to keep coming back to them as they evolve over time. But obviously they knew early on that because kids have got to be up front, the adults are going to have to carry these earlier movies, more so than they probably did in the books. That's true. Um, and we're introduced to... Three of probably the big four hitters of the entire series in the very first scene, which is actually my favourite scene from this movie. Yeah. Um, it's the only one that really feels magical. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't mean that in the froofy way. I mean, like, it actually feels like wizards and witches living in the real world. I get you. It is the scene of Dumbledore, um, McGonagall and Hagrid bringing Harry to number four Privet Drive. You have Dumbledore walking out onto the dark street and taking out all the lights with the Deluminator. You have McGonagall transforming from the cat into Maggie Smith. And then you have Hagrid coming in on the flying bike and it's all wonderful and, and lovely and warm. Okay. Um, we'll talk about all three. Yeah. I'll start with McGonagall. Okay. I had this conversation with my girlfriend who I'm watching these, re-watching these movies with again. I never liked... Maggie Smith's casting as McGonagall. Really? I always pictured McGonagall. I don't know if it's just me not being able to divorce from the books yeah. and having a bit of Watchmen syndrome. I always felt McGonagall was younger than what Maggie Smith portrayed her as. Really? Because I always thought of McGonagall as like the kind of fun but stern aunt. Whereas okay. here she just came over as like a, just like a teacher. 
That's an interesting take. Do you not share it? Well, I didn't share the the fun but interesting aunt character. I I did get the the old teacher vibe from minute one. Again, maybe it's because I read the book after watching the movie. Yeah, it is. Which is probably my sort yeah. of warped take on it. Uh, and really, if you're going to go down that route, who better to bring on than Maggie Smith? Because lest we forget, the Harry Potter movies have a tendency to capture literally the best of British acting talent. And I really think we can't rule out Maggie Smith just because it wasn't a quote-unquote perfect interpretation. I think what you brought to that character was a sort of a level of elegance and sternness that isn't captured by any other person within the teaching facility at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say, I don't know, maybe maybe she could have been played a little bit younger. But she's no one's favourite character. No, but think, she's respected. Yeah, but I think Maggie Smith's portrayal of her as almost having no fun up until the last movie where she gets a funny line really didn't help the situation. And I think there is somebody in the Harry Potter, you know, cast yeah. who would have done better I always thought Emma Thompson would have made a much better McGonagall oh, than, okay. than Maggie Smith yeah. slightly younger uh, old enough to think yes yeah, she was a teacher back when Harry's parents were there or starting to become a teacher but a- a- enough in there that she could relate to Harry Potter and still have that youthful glint in her eye about the whole stuff with the Quidditch etc uh, etc et see I-, I always saw um, McGonagall as sort of like this is what's socially relatable about Harry Potter, especially if you grew up at, it, at the age where you were growing up with Harry, is you kind of sympathised that, that, yes, everybody had that one teacher that was just a little too stern or just a little too bored, as it was. Because McGonagall doesn't seem to that's enjoy... A good, that's a good thing for a character You know what I mean? But she doesn't enjoy magic because it's so integral to her life as a witch. Yeah. Whereas I think other teachers and other people within this franchise to find the joy in it. Dumbledore certainly yeah. marvels at mm-hmm. stuff like this. Can we talk about Dumbledore? We'll talk about Dumbledore now. Um, this is Dumbledore Mark 1 it is. played by uh, Richard Harris. We'll get to the comparisons to Dumbledore Mark 2 when he arrives uh, in um, Prison of Azkaban? Prison of Azkaban. Um, in my head when I read the books I see Richard Harris's Dumbledore. I hear that voice. Not Gambon's. I think Michael Gambon is very... It's it's hard to not see Michael Gambon in that character, whereas Richard Harris, I believe, 100% is Dumbledore. Yeah. He, he's uh, that kind of... that elder, that What you were talking about, the whimsicality yeah. of Dumbledore is there in droves with, um, with Richard Harris, not so much with Michael Gambon. I, I know we're talking about this movie, but there are certain elements of the fourth movie where he's talking about... Um, no, what in, what movie does he have the pet phoenix in his office? He always has a pet phoenix in his but office. There's a, there's the, it's the one where he's introducing the idea of death and rebirth of the phoenix to Harry. Uh, that would be possibly number two. I think he's in, Chamber of Secrets has big forks moments in it. So yeah, it might be that one. Sure, yeah. It might be in that one. Um, and that's the scene where I was like, okay, this is Dumbledore. Yep. And that's why I always hear Richard Harris whenever I'm reading. Yep. Uh, and he, it's his sort of like it's his soft, not like sort of mindful voice again. Like you said, it's whimsical. He understands the wisdom world, but it's never failed to impress him or astound him. Even though he is arguably one of the most powerful wizards within mm-hmm. this entire universe. I don't think Richard Harris could have pulled off that when when Dumbledore sw- you know flicks the switch in later movies and becomes the powerful Dumbledore and the yeah. kind of almost conceited behind closed doors sneaky Dumbledore. I get you. I don't think Richard Harris could do that. They probably, I'm not being morbid here, but they must have thought we need to get 10 years worth of movies out of this guy. I think Richard Harris was probably too old 
at the start of this series. Looked the part, acted the part, was fantastic. That might have been a bit short-sighted on their part to think. Not necessarily he's going to die. No, I get you. But, you know, in, in, is he going to be up to doing all the stunt work that J.K. Rowley must have clued them into that far in advance? Well, I mean, I, and looking back on it, there's always a way around it. Um, and there's always yeah. sort of movie tricks you can do. Hey, if Peter Campoli can be doing stunts as Doctor Who and they can find a way around that, we can do anything. you got to bring Doctor Who into my Harry Potter. i got to do that. The, my, you know, me championing good th- British things I'm and you bad British no, things. No, it's best of British. Um, <sighs> okay, let's just talk about Hagrid very quickly because <laughs> there's a point about Dumbledore that I don't want to lose whilst we're talking about Hagrid. Okay. Hagrid's my favourite Harry Potter character. He's so good. He's the be- perfect Utterly without flaw casting of Robbie Coltrane <laughs> oh, as Hagrid. Nobody on the face of this goddamn earth could have played Hagrid better than Robbie Coltrane. I did. 100% agree. He stepped out of the books and he was there. I know. Done. I I like every aspect of him. Just a little bit of media nerd stuff. I love the camera trickery they do to make Robbie Coltrane look like he's playing Hagrid yeah, all the time. it's cool. There's a bit. It's more in Chamber of Secrets that I noticed this. When you first meet Hagrid and you see Harry walking next to him, it's never abundantly clear what they're doing, but you never see his face, obviously because the stunt double's playing him, he's gigantic. And then they use camera's perspective to have Robbie Coltrane and Harry Potter walking in the same shot and make Robbie Coltrane look amazing. Oh my God, I love it so much. But, yeah, he's everything I ever wanted for Hagrid. Kind, loving, stupid. Yeah, he's amazing. He's wonderful. I, I, th- I think that with because uh, this these movies, like you say, are inevitably based off kids' books, uh, and inevitably had to sort of introduce younger audiences. You have you have the the comfortable best friend of Ron. You have the bumbling sidekick of Hagrid, and you have the wise old Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. I think that trifecta is what makes this movie so memorable and so nostalgic yes. for all three. I, I his favorite scene, unfortunately. <laughs> Is one of the earliest film series in the f- scenes in the series, which is him coming to fetch Harry on his eleventh birthday it's so good. from the shack, from the Dursleys, booting down the door, <laughs> yeah. walking in, and say, "Sorry about that." Dry up, Dursley, you old prude, bending the gun. <laughs> yeah. I love. Every- Can you say you're a wizard, Harry? Because I can't really do the accent. What? You're a wizard, Harry. There we go. Well done. <laughs> Loved it. Love every... Now, my girlfriend has a theory... No, something good and sorry. She always thought... Oh, no, it's when they insult Dumbledore and you get that angry Hagrid. Oh, yeah. Do not insult Albus Dumbledore in front of me. Um, <laughs> it's so good. My girlfriend had the theory that they should have turned Hagrid evil. What? Like, come Half-Blood Prince, the Half-Blood Prince shouldn't have been Snape. It should have been Hagrid. <laughs> and Hagrid <laughs> had... Because she points out all the way through... Though, now he's good, we just know he's just him being a bumbling idiot. But it does look like he was a bumbling idiot trying to kill Harry. Yeah, I get you. He brought a dragon. <laughs> he got blast-ended scoots to try and burn his face off. He put him on a hippogriff, hoping the hippogriff might just plop him off and send him plummeting to his death. Um, luckily, that didn't happen. No, and luckily, Robbie Coltrane continued to play arguably one of the most lovable characters in this entire franchise. He's my favourite character, uh, books and film. Whenever he appears, because uh, I've been over to the Harry Potter uh, attraction thing that yes! they have in Orlando. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say the tour. Oh, no, not the been tour. to Orlando, you bastard. Yeah, I've been to the, the holy shit, oh, big budget one. God. And whenever they... Because obviously all the actors return to play their roles yep. um, in like the holograms and movies and all that. 
and it's just a delight when Robbie Coltrane comes on screen every time. I'm like, oh, my Hagrid, I'm so happy. I'm very, happy. very jealous. Um, whilst we mentioned them, the Dursleys. Yeah. They were meant to be arseholes, and they, they were, were arseholes. arseholes. <laughs> um, yeah, Uncle Vernon, played by Richard Griffiths, um, I, he, again, straight from the books, yeah. walked onto a stage. Horrible little man. Um Obsessed with money and getting ahead of life and stopping all of this magical business. Yeah, really was. And Aunt Petunia as well. She was. She was fine. She was. She, she was fine. But Un- Uncle Vernon definitely. Whenever there was a scene where where the Dursleys just needed to be awful, it was Vernon who you wanted to punch in the face. And that performance was so good because no post on Sundays is still a meme. So happy about. I that. don't think he ever went across that line of like he was always. Fun. He was always. You loved yeah, to hate they, him. They couldn't make it sinister, Darren. No, could they? No, no, no. But I mean, like, yeah. To, to be fair, you could play that very sinister. Uh, you know, he's locking his nephew in a cupboard. Yeah. But I think Opportunity is the other side. And you don't really have fun with Opportunity. You can kind of enjoy how small-minded Uncle Vernon is. Um, Dudley Dursley. He mm. he played a good stuck-up kid. Yeah. But that, that's a very. He did what he needed to do. Yeah. Yeah, because lest lest we not forget, even though they do make recurring appearances in this franchise, the Dirties are little more than a a plot element to introduce you to the depressed world of Harry yeah. Potter before it becomes the Wizarding world of Harry Potter. Ah. Ah. Yeah, they're, they're there to be your opening level bad guys. You know, have some shenanigans, some slapstick comedy in the first like twenty minutes, and then off they go. There they're diminishing are so returns. many letters. <laughs> Why are there so many letters? <laughs> There's such diminishing returns. I don't think they appear in Goblet of Fire, actually. I watched that last night. And I yeah, don't I don't think they do. Um, from there, we go to Hogwarts. Uh, we get on the Hogwarts Express. We I've always had a problem with Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Really? If this is your first time, why are you running at it? Yeah, good point. You could get through just by pushing the trolley at it. <laughs> yeah. If anything, you're making less noise and being more subtle if you run. If you walk, even. Anyway. Well, maybe um, that's the, the thing that I remember the most about this movie is moments like... Platform nine and three quarters, and moments like the introduction of the Nimbus two thousand, yeah. moments like the first game of Quidditch, moments like the the troll in the dungeon. It's moments like that because they build such a beautiful picture of childhood. Because mm-hmm. that movie is so nostalgic to me, um, and it's I don't really. I, I kind of want to just drop the curtain on the whole. Well, they could just do like this and do like that because you know magic is the mundane for these people. This movie is just childlike wonder personified. I'm gonna come back to that. Okay, that's the point I wanna I wanna come back to. Uh, once we arrive at Hogwarts, we of course get to meet everyone's favourite teacher, Yay. played by the late Alan Rickman, Professor Severus Snape. Arguably the best actor on this entire series. Easily. Okay, easily the best actor. On this not even series. not even a question. Um, Alan, goddamn Rickman, you get him to play a villain, he'll play a mofo in villain. He was awesome. Like, from beat one, that Mr. Potter... Just, ah! Ah, it's Snape. It's just, one again, few, he jumped out the book for me. One of the few people, I think, actually did it better than the books did. You think? In terms of... Because Snape, the switch that happens later on, mm-hmm. I think I appreciate it more because I could then picture Alan Rickman doing it. Had it been book Snape? Yeah. I don't think he ever got to that point because he was just evil. Yeah, okay. You never saw the kind of... Alan Rickman level of, you know, fun evil that that, that um, Alan brought to the the part. I like his entrance. is wonderful. 
him kind of just slivering in, yeah. shutting all the windows. There'll be no foolish one-waving or silly incantations in this my class. Poof. Wonderful. Um, we'll, we'll, of course, come back to Snape. We have much more to say about him, but yeah. here he's just here to be, you know, the opening level. i got to stop saying the analogy of the opening level bad guy. He's someone that grows as we go along. He's, he's the, more and more integral. He's the, he's the recurring bad guy, Gal. He's not the super bad who we get introduced yes. into sort of at the end of this movie, but not really. No. But he's the recurring mid-level villain. Yep. As it was. Your he's, constant threat. Yeah, your constant threat. Not on the he, same level as Drago, who is the more constant threat to Harry Potter's life, but yeah. But, like, even in this movie, he's never incredibly imposing, which I think makes... Oh no, I think he is. I don't really that think so. That first lesson... No, 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 no. Complete... no. No, his personality is imposing, but he's not literally... You know, putting the wand at Harry's throat oh, as he right, was. Right, right. Okay. I think that's what's made him so endearing, and why when the things that happen later on happens, you feel incredibly sympathetic towards his character. One thing I need to talk to at this point, something that is not from the books that they they could have messed up quite easily, but I think absolutely nailed was the score. Yeah, this is of course um, the legendary John Williams. He wrote the music for the first three movies. Um, other people took it on after that but obviously he wrote the Harry Potter theme and because it's John Williams he smashed it out of the park yeah it's now synonymous with sort of childlike wonder in my opinion like I've said earlier on it's it's the gentle sort of building whirlwind nature of that piece that you can just get caught up in it It's, it's, it's kind of like the reverse effect of Star of the Star Wars theme, I find. The Star Wars theme is very open, striking from beat one. In fact, the the first is kind of a jump scare as it was. Yep. Um whereas the Harry Potter one starts out very soft, very quiet, and then builds into sort of like this this sort of like I've always imagined it as like like a tornado. Yes. Because obviously you've got the lightning bolt thing, and maybe it's just related in Rajuric, but and we're going too far into media theory here. <laughs> There's but, no such thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's just kind of like this incredible sort of like autumnal waltz as it was. I, I always... <laughs> I, like sorry. a big word. I know, right? I kind of like... Because it these movies always get played at the holidays, I imagine it coming around, yes. like around Halloween or Christmas, something like that. Because... And the movies sort of like progress in a natural school year. They start in the autumn. So that's why I refer to that. Yeah. I'm not... I'm basically, I just explained my way out of sounding like a complete arsehole Well there. done. Very yeah, good. I did it. I think the thing I like about it the most, and it's something that becomes more apparent as the series goes on, is how adaptable this theme is. Yeah. Because in almost every movie, there's a slightly different version that opens up every song. So early on, it is the whimsical kind of, you know, childlike wonder, to go back to that phrase, in the, especially in the first two. As the films start to get progressively more darker, so does the theme. Which, by the time we get to Deathly Hallows Part 2, it almost ends like the Death March. It is full Jewel of the Fates level of just epic, <laughs> bombastic, everything's gone wrong. It really, really... Like, I can't imagine I can't imagine he would have wrote a better Harry Potter theme journey if he was given another go-round. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely know. Again, one of the few things I think they got perfect and exceeded my expectations. Having said that, it's John Williams... He always does this. Yep. Has he actually written a bad song, like theme tune? I doubt it. He must have had one. Maybe we don't know it is one. Um, so, we're going to talk about the overall movie now. The, you know the plot. Harry Potter's, you know, trying to find out what's behind the big dog on the third floor. Because this has got to set up a lot of world building. There's yeah. not much of a plot here. That's fine. Same thing with the book. Um, 
I need to, this is I think the movie and, and Chamber of Secrets as well. I think I don't like them in retrospect because they're very obviously kids' movies. Okay. As opposed to, and I, I, I will actually level the exact same criticism at the, the, the first two books as well. I think Prisoner in Azkaban is where it really does turn around and become an amazing book series. And it is also the turning point for these films as well. Because, could you imagine in, let's say we get into Deathly Hallows Part 2, a very serious movie, a lot of death, a lot of explosions, a lot of high stakes. Could you imagine anybody saying, ew, troll bogeys? I get you, yeah, but... You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with these these early films being for kids because that's how you build a returning audience. I think if we're going to talk about sort of like the prospect of, you know, diminishing or regaining a box office return, starting them out as family kids movies, which then they get to our age and being the same ages of the main actors, of course we're going to go back and see those movies and of course we're going to go and see what those actors do once those movies end. I think it made logical sense in production and I'd argue would actually make those movies look a little bit better in retrospect because you're sort of blinded by a nostalgia vision, which I hold my hands up and say, I'm blinded by a nostalgia vision for the first Harry Potter. I think that's my problem with it, is that I agree with the marketing strategy of doing it that way, of growing with your audience and starting it at their age. And you know, I think, though, retrospectively, it does make this movie a pretty hard watch. Yeah. Because it is there is nothing of substance here. Mm. It is all just... World building again, but I understand that. I think I level this criticism more against Chamber of Secrets, which we'll talk about tomorrow. Um, Here's a fun fact. Uh, I used to know this movie literally word for word. As in, 100%, I knew every line. Wow. <laughs> this, was, this was in the days where the only way you could give somebody a copy of a movie was to record it onto VHS. Uh, so, because so many people wanted a copy of this movie, we had a really good copy on a VCD of all things. Wow! I sat whenever Dad was like, "I'm going to run this copy of Harry Potter off," and I'd be like, "I'll watch it." So I, I watched and learned oh, every single wow, line Michael. of this goddamn movie. Unfortunately, it's all gone now. It's replaced by things I need, like uh, you know, how to do taxes or something. I, I don't know how to do I taxes. Say, Michael. So you went from watching the first movie to the point of you knew every line to yep. not even bothering past the fourth movie. Yep. Wow, that's a turn down. I know, right? I will tell you, there's one way to improve this movie dramatically. Go on. If you watch it on 1.5 fast forwarding, everyone <laughs> talks hilariously. <laughs> Except for Snape. Snape says the exact same, even though he's slightly sped up. And it means the movie's over a, a slight bit quicker. Well, this thing, it is a kid's movie because of the troll bogeys and all the silly stuff and, and buggers and, and all this other fun stuff. I, I remember all, always bursting out at, that was bloody brilliant <sighs> every time. But then, hard cut to billowy, grim reaper-looking figure sucking the blood from a dead unicorn in the forest at night. Yeah, good point. There's a, there's a few, like, hard crashes into, whoa, whoa, okay, <laughs> damn, JK, bloody hell. Yeah. Um, not so much that we get to a finale. Yeah. Um, we had Harry Potter, Hermione and Ron get through the trials set by the teachers to um, guard this stone. Yeah. Which always made no sense to me. Can we talk about the trials again? Just I love the chess scene so, so much. The chess scene's good. That I was think so fun. Like early 2000s CGI does not hold up very well for Fluffy. Nope. <laughs> Fluffy does not look good. Nor do the keys. No. Um, and it's fine in kind of like, you know, building it up, building it up, building it up. And, it, and even less so does the final confrontation with our villain. That does not hold up. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. So, turns out it was Quirrell all along. Nervous little Quirrell. Um, 
Because at first, the, the the big bait and switch is they set up Snape to be the bad guy. Not for the first, and well, no, for the first, but not for the last time. Everyone thinks it's Snape doing the bad thing. Um, we find out later, of course, it wasn't him. When we get ready to Deathly Hallows. Oh, that's my favourite chapter. Um, <laughs> yeah, it turns out it's Quirrell. Good bait and switch. I must admit, I didn't see it coming in the books. Yep. Everyone's a bit surprised. Uh, and then this, again, charming kids movie reveals, um, you know, there's a dead person on the back of his head. There's a literal lord of death living on the back of someone's head underneath. Which never occurred to me that he's been living underneath Quirrell's sort of, like... Turban. Very heavy turban's entire movie. So you can imagine him trying to deliver commands and he goes... <laughs> <laughs> he must have sounded like Kenny McCormick off screen. <laughs> oh, it's so... What? (laughs) Brian Potter? (laughs) (laughs) But what I don't understand is, right, all the way... This has happened a few times in Harry Potter. So Quirrell has had Harry Potter alone a lot of times in this movie. That's true. And goes straight up killed him. This is before Voldemort realised he needed the blood of Harry Potter to live, which kind of excused it away in some of the films. Yeah. He, he was right there, and it's not implied that he picked up Voldemort at some point during the year. He was there from the moment he met him in the Leaky Cauldron at the start of the movie. And it's just mind-boggling to me. And then the finale, to get even more grotesque, is Harry Potter melting a man with his touch. Oh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> he just touches him on the face, and he he, he goes full-on like Indiana Jones. He, he turns into do- sand, and he do- like melts away. does do the whole stare into the Ark of the Covenant thing. It's a bit grim. It is a bit grim, and Harry Potter... This, this is the problem with the tone of the first two movies. Whenever it does go grim, it's very jarring. That's com- true. Azkaban balances it better with arguably more grim subject matter, like the Dementors and stuff. True. But it's just a very odd start to... Well, if you're going to base something in the world of the magical and literally draw from, you know, alchemical like things and bring mysticism and Wiccan or Christ knows whatever else they base this stuff on... And make it for kids. You kind of can't really blank out all the grim stuff, especially if you want this audience to grow up and evolve with the stories. So you have to set the boundaries there. But you know, like you said, sucking the demon out of a unicorn in a dark forest at night—a bit, a bit much. That's gonna, that's gonna scar. Hey, hey, well done, Maggle. Um, right, so let's let's talk about the overall ranking of Philosopher's Stone. Again, this is not the most interesting of movies. We've got much more interesting stuff to talk about. That's true. In the future movies, I put it. Near the bottom. Yeah, I, I would say it's pretty near the bottom as well. I think that there's there's really only sort of like maybe one or two of them that I would put at the very bottom. I'm now that I think about it, because now that I've watched all of them, there's definitely one that I'll put at the very bottom. But no, mm. I can't put it there. But do I? The, the question is because the first three were the ones that I had the most attachment to. Yes. Um, and then obviously by Goblet, I was sort of like, eh, this is okay. And then I stopped watching. Yep. So if we're going to rank it in just the first four, I think it's my third favourite one. I can't put it at the bottom because of... Um, another movie. Because of, yeah, another movie yep. in the first four. Um, but yeah, I think out of the eight, I think it will be sixth for me. I think sixth is It's definitely in the bottom three for me. I don't know exactly where. I, I definitely can't put it at the very bottom because it's just so nostalgic because it's set it up. It's New Hope Syndrome. New Hope is never the worst movie, movie even though not a lot happens in it. This is more like Phantom Menace for me, but okay. Do you think it's Phantom Levels? It's not far off. If this is on... Because they have the Harry Potter movie channel now on Sky Movies pretty much constantly. 
If this is the one that's on, I am not stopping to watch Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. I have not got the time for that. I get you. As much as I enjoy watching Snape and Hagrid and Richard Harris's Dumbledore and all this good stuff, it's so stilted. The dialogue is so... Again, know, they're word building with 11-year-olds. It was always going to be stilted, but it's noticeable here. You, but you can't say that like near enough every scene in this movie is just so memorable. Like you remember the hailstorm of letters. You remember the snake breaking out and talking English for some reason. Yeah. You remember the the Quidditch match and how sort of like fast and rapid that movement was and how fluid. Oh, it was so good. And then, like I said, the chess game is probably my favourite bit of this entire um, film. The ending is... Michael enjoying chess. Weird. It's, it, it was a fun it scene. Really we didn't good. even point out that 11-year-olds were able to beat several puzzles set by full-ass grown adults. Yeah. Lest I point out two of these people lived in the muggle world until nine months ago and That's yet true. cracked their puzzles. <laughs> but there we go. Um, he's the special after all. Yeah. So, that's going to do us here for day one of um, Harry Potter Week. Plug away, Michael. Okay, so you can go and find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud and Minds and Instagram, I think, as well, under the username FowlENT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. Well done, Michael. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Guthrie. And, of course, tune in tomorrow where we're going to be talking about... Porking about? Talking <laughs> about... The Chamber of Secrets, the second Harry Potter movie. Uh, and, yeah, tune back in every day this week. Oh, my God, I said tune in. You don't yes, tune in, Michael. Yes, you did it! Good God. You did um, it! Feel free to come back to Fail Entertainment every single day this week. They'll have a new Harry Potter podcast up for you in preparation for um, Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. The kind of next leaping off point into the Harry Potter world. We're leaving... Jo- oh, no, JK wrote it. So we're still in steady hands. But, yeah, a whole new world to explore. Won't it be interesting? Please do join us tomorrow. We'll see you